Welcome to the Davos in the Desert podcast series. My name is Mark Oliver and I am the producer of the Davos in the Desert podcast series. Our podcasts feature thought leaders in business and public policy. Our sessions are meant to be informative and thought-provoking. The topic of this session is data-driven political campaigns, and our guest is George Califf. Mr. Califf is the managing director of the Resolute Group and president of Data Orbital. For more than a decade Mr. Califf has leveraged his political instincts, data expertise and strategic relationships to advance conservative clients and causes throughout Arizona and a growing number of states. Without further ado, here is David Wanatik, the CEO of Davos in the Desert and the host of our podcast series. Hello, everyone. This is David Wanatik. I'm the CEO of Davos in the Desert. Uh, today's podcast is going to uh, feature um, George Califf, who is the managing director at the Resolute Group. Uh, George, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So um, we were talking before we started recording that we've actually done a little bit of business together. Um, I've had some events at my house, uh, some political events, and at least one of your clients, Shauna Bullock, who last year was running for Secretary of State of Arizona, she spoke at my house uh, twice and uh, worked with your uh, young associate, uh, Ben Mitchell. Uh, very good experience. Everybody was very well organized, submitted the bios, and uh, that kind of thing it was very punctual, very gracious. So it was great to work with you in that capacity. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, our team, we're always happy to, to, uh, to have also amazing hosts that make it uh, easier, because I'll, I'll tell you that is not always the experience that we have, but yeah. So what what are the range of services that you offer your clients that are political candidates? And maybe the preceding question should be, are all of your clients candidates or do you serve uh, other clientele besides office seekers? Um, So we do, uh, to answer that question first, we do serve other clients that are not political candidates for public office. We, uh, broadly speaking, serve the public policy space, focusing on issues of the right to life, religious freedom, educational freedom and generally free enterprise. And so if you're a candidate for public office that fits those buckets, we, uh, we work on uh, work with you, anything from local to statewide. Um, we have a number of clients that are uh, nonprofit organizations or organizations and groups that want to influence public policy. Uh, we don't do a lot of corporate work or corporate work would be in so far as, again, someone wants to influence public policy in that, uh, in that regard. But unlike a lot of other firms, um, David, we really, um, our values and, and what we believe in um, really lead, and we want to lead by example in that regard. And so we're not willing to just uh, work with anyone just for the sake of working with them. And then to answer the second part of the question in terms of what we do, or what we call a full service sort of public relations and political consulting firm. So anything from the logo that you see, to the campaign signs, to the direct mailers, to TV ads, to radio, to digital uh, we coordinate door knocking, you know, uh, phone calling, uh, who to talk to, why do you talk to them, the messaging that you use, any of those, uh, any of those good things. Um, so it is, it is very much so full service. Really, the only two things we don't do is we do not fundraise uh, for political candidates, uh, and we do not really do much direct lobbying. We're doing a little bit of that this year, um, but that uh, that primarily is the, those are the two primary things we do not do. So I understand you have a very strong background in data, uh, data management, understanding data. I think you have another company or sister company, Data Orbital. Um, so maybe tell us to the extent to which your services are data-driven. Yeah, yeah. Everything that we do is data-driven. 
early on in my career, I had a mentor tell me, look, you can't just come to the table as a strategist, right? And I was just starting, like, you have to have a hard skill. And so some people's hard skill is they're a uh, great communicator. Some people is they're great animators, they're designers. Some people, it, you know, they're, they're the TV guy, the direct mail, you know, whatever it is, or girl. Uh, for me, it was always data. I had a strong numbers background before I got into political science. And as uh, most people can imagine in politics, it does not necessarily attract a lot of numbers oriented people. And so because there was a clear void in the market from a numbers perspective, the first firm that I actually launched is Data Orbital, as you mentioned, which is a full service survey research and data visualization firm. And so everything we do is data centric. We do a lot of survey work in Arizona and across the country on the issues that I talked about earlier. And just in general, um, we we have a mindset that a public poll or a poll should not be used to change what you believe because it fits the electorate so that you can win or that you can make public policy changes. We believe data should be used to inform the compatibility or the efficacy of your idea or your candidacy. So if you want to run as a hardcore progressive in the city of Scottsdale, you're gonna have a tough time. Similarly, that you're gonna have a tough time if you're running as a hardcore conservative in the town of Tucson. And so city of Tucson. And so we want we want data to inform um, how candidates are speaking and if they should or shouldn't be going after certain things and not so much data to say, hey, these group of people that you need to win believe in this. So make yourself believe in this. That's just never the way that we operate. Um, but we think data is very powerful. But data also, I will say, data has a has a set of limitations. Data is only good as the input points. A lot of people now are talking about chat GPT and AI and, and the most impactful thing that I've heard consistently about that is those services and those that software is only as good as the prompts that you give it. Same thing with data. If you set up a survey to tell you a certain result, you're going to get that result. If you want data to say well, almost whatever it is that you want it to say, you can make it say that. And so we want to be very clear that data has to be combined with human instinct and gut. And you, we want to be data informed, not data blinded, right? We can't mm -hmm. just be focused on data, but we also can't have the data telling us something. And then we say, no, well, that doesn't fit what I believe. And so I'm going to ignore it. It's just mm -hmm. a mess. So it seems like you did not tell your clients to change their policy positions based on the data. You may recommend that they don't visit one community and spend more time in a different community, or maybe change the phraseology of their messaging a little bit. It's the same position, uh, but just articulate a little bit differently. Yeah, 100%. So for example, if you're talking about illegal immigration, the focus may not just be on illegal immigrants and the presence in the in the presence in the community. It may be focused on the lack of security and the harm to public safety that it causes to have an open border. Again, I'm just using that as an example. Um, but also, again, it's I, I'm very candid with this. I spend most of my time saying no, not yes. There's just a lot of people that are not a good fit for us, and that's okay. And I I have I came to terms with that a long time ago and very early on in my career. And yeah, there's plenty of money I'm leaving on the table, but there's just certain things that I just cannot uh, work on. And there are certain um, individuals that we're just not going to be compatible. And so we really want to be, you know, we really are intentional about what we do and why we do it. We also want to make sure that we're making a marketable impact, right? There's a lot mm -hmm. of consultants out there. Now, a lot, relatively speaking, to the industry. So if you're just looking for someone to dot an I and cross a T, you probably go to multiple other places, right? What sets us apart is the heart that we bring to it, the attention to detail that we bring to it. We have a set of hard skills with myself and various team members that I believe set us to that next level. But there has to be that compatibility uh, that's there. But I have never in my career, and I can say this emphatically and proudly, I've never in my career once told a candidate or client of any kind, hey, uh, the group of people that you need to win over don't like the thing that's coming out of your mouth. So you need to change what you believe. Um, that's just never going to happen because why, David? Uh, voters are smart. Voters can tell when someone's lying to them. Voters can tell yeah. when someone is 
pretending and putting up a front. And so I say, look, even if you want to do that, it's a moot point because you're not going to actually be able to convince people that what you're saying is, is, is truly what you believe. Mm-hmm. You, you probably get some synergies in your business because it seems like you tend to represent candidates that are a little bit to the right of the political spectrum. And I imagine you probably understand the, the policies and positions better since you you focus in that area. And maybe, you know, you're more familiar with the different hosts and different groups that are interested in learning about those candidates. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. Look, I mean, we have a we have a, a, a focus area. I've been in Arizona since the mid '90s, and I've been focusing and working on this for the better part of the last 12 to 13 years. Most of that in Arizona, a little state in Washington D.C. And so, over the course of my career, I've really been intentional about building networks. Uh, you know, the other thing to to know about me, and for uh, for the audience to know about me, is that while I uh, very much am a proud conservative, and anyone that you ask about me would tell you that, uh, I do also pride myself in um, in building bridges, and so far as those bridges, uh, there's a mutual understanding that I'm not building a bridge because I'm going to change my position to be your position. Um, I'm not necessarily asking you to do the inverse either, but I'm building a bridge because we have to still collaborate. <clears throat> okay, whatever my position is, whatever your position is, we have to at a minimum be willing to collaborate, even in so far as it's a high, high, bye bye if you pass each other at an event. But oftentimes, there's a whole bunch of issues that don't fit in any of those buckets that just need to get done. Like what do we do with water in the state of Arizona? How do we solve some of the really tough things? Not everything needs to be controversial. I think our society and the media is attracted uh, in a very negative way to all the controversial things. Um, and frankly, even the issues that can that are controversial, they don't need to be done in a controversial man or manner. But there's a lot of people that have a vested interest to keep things controversial. Yeah, we see that uh, some liberals are are seeing the light a little bit. Senator Cinema uh, is now an independent, and uh, Naomi Wolf, who is uh, very very woke, uh, she wrote a very good book about uh, all the problems that arose during COVID. Um, just as far as like you know, being very data centric, it seems like at some point it it goes back to being uh, subjective, as far as like the the data that you look at. Um, you know, there was uh, Melissa Mayer at Google and, uh, you know, she was doing all kinds of analytics about what colors to use for Google and what shade of green. And you can start driving people crazy if you dig too much into it and kind of get lost in all the minutia. Yeah. So kind of any general uh, breaks or parameters you put around your uh, analysis of data? Sure, sure. Um, look, we need to be asking questions that are not overtly complicated because, if you're asking an exceptionally complicated question, you're gonna expect very complicated and nuanced results back, which is not the point of data and statistics. We already know statistics are inherently limited insofar as that uh, there's a we're taking a pool of individuals to represent a much larger pool of people. Now, statistics says that we do so and we can do so well, but if you start getting exceptionally detailed and nuanced and you have these 150 word question, you know, 150 question surveys and things like that, that's gonna be very, very, um, very dangerous. On the other hand, we also know that the way that you word a question and how you say it and what you say, it absolutely matters. If you ask someone, for example, on an issue that's very salient for our time, if you ask someone, you know, should a should a a, a woman kill her child at, at three months, it's different than to say, should a woman have a right uh, to have bodily autonomy over her 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 own self? I mean, those two questions technically are asking the same thing, but are going to get wildly different results. Again, just to use a salient subject. So the limitations are we we want to make sure our um, our scripts are not overly long. We want to make sure our questions are not overly long individually. 
we want to make sure that we are obviously following all of the best practices. So our firm is part of the Arizona, uh, the American Association of Public Opinion Researchers and their transparency initiative. I just had a staffer at the conference. We really want to make all of the all of the scientific aspects of the poll. We want to make sure that we're up to the latest trends of we're matching industry standard, if not exceeding. And look, I always tell clients, obviously I have a bias and a belief. The client has a bias and a belief. You do as well, David, and every human being does. I don't believe anyone doesn't have it. Anyone who says that they don't, I'm sure in the course of a conversation, we can figure out what their bias and their beliefs are. But the point of a survey is not to interject our own bias and belief because otherwise don't pay me the money. Maybe that makes me a bad businessman to say, and you can just write the results yourself. What's the point? You need to write the questions in a way that if a member of the other side looked at it, they would say, yes, this question is worded neutrally. That is a very important standard that I get is still subjective because it's not like we're going to test every survey that we have or any survey that we have with someone who disagrees with us, I, mind you. But we have to try to put ourselves in those shoes because otherwise we're going to be getting biased results back. And that doesn't help anyone to be affirmed. It's like going to the doctor and having them do a checkup, but you withhold a whole bunch of information and they don't actually check you. Then what, what good is that if, if they can't tell that if you're sick or not? You know, to, to be Machiavellian, um, some might argue that it does make sense for a survey company to skew the results because it starts to um, affect the thinking and the motivation and the confidence of different candidates. You know, so back in the 2020 election, if, you know, Wisconsin said that um, uh, Joe Biden's 14 points ahead, um, you know, something like that, um, you know, it could start to shake the confidence, could start to draw resources from the Trump campaign and no, Wisconsin, where maybe they didn't need to go, you know, so do you, you know, you, you don't seem to do anything like that, but do you think some of your brethren in the survey industry are intentionally skewing the results to cause Oops. other candidates to misallocate? Speaking to intentionality is difficult. I, I try to be very careful when I do that. Do I believe that when results are produced, that people intentionally report things and to fan the flames and to push something even because they know what the byproduct is, absolutely they do. I've had multiple instances where I've had candidates that have been harmed by surveys that have been put out publicly that show the race too close, which means people um, people have a, uh, have, a, have a different reaction or that show the race so far apart, but it didn't end up being far apart and it ends up drying up money potentially and all that. Again, we're not even talking macro like presidential, we're talking state legislative, school board. So it, it is it can be very dangerous. Do I believe that people go out of their way to intentionally seek those results and then disseminate them? I don't know. Do I believe that once those results happen, do people are people uh, potentially gleeful? Oh my gosh, this says something that we think we could use to our advantage. And then they put it out there. Absolutely. Do I think that happens? Yeah, because everyone has an angle. I mean, like the, again, you we and I don't. I guess I, I I do sound jaded. I don't mean to sound jaded, but that's the world. Uh, human beings, we have angles. Uh, everyone has an angle. Part of our the, the groups that we affiliate with have angles. Um, there's no doubt about it. And so I, I, at a minimum, try to be transparent. I like everyone else has an angle. And I try to be transparent with that um, up front to the best of my ability. Yeah. Uh, so I know you're one of the top rated uh, polling firms in Arizona by 538. You know, um, you know during the run-up to the 2020 election, there was a lot of commentary from the people at 538. It wasn't just about the polls. They were saying Trump is racist and things like this. Um, so some pollsters are adding a lot of um, biased commentary uh, to their services, uh, not just providing direct surveys. 
Yeah, yeah, they, they do. They do. And I'm like, look, this is the problem. There's a lot of pollsters that also double up and start advising and consulting. I mean, you know, technically someone could say that I as a pollster provide survey results, but I also am picking, I'm picking people that I want to win and I'm picking people that I'm opposing that I want to lose. So um, I do think that happens pretty regularly. I agree though, this is the problem that we have. We, which which is what we've done with media, we mix and conflate data and surveys with media and we conflict media and reporting with editorial and public opinion. So we're mixing everything together. So reporters think that they're like editorial columnists now because they're giving their, their you know, they're giving their opinion. That's not actually the case, right? Reporters report the news, opinion, op-ed columnists, they, they give their opinions, vice versa. So as a pollster, I shouldn't be you know, I shouldn't be giving my opinion. I should be reporting the news insofar as this survey is representative of the, the, the population that I'm seeking to survey on the subject that I'm seeking to, to research. We know that that's not always the case. I mean, like the, this is the problem and which is why we, we generally speaking in the survey research perspective, we have a public opinion crisis to a degree because there's a lot of people that don't trust polls. And there's some people that only trust polls from certain individuals. <laughs> We saw what happened in the 2016 election cycle, as an example, right? There were some polls that got it very wrong, very right. Same thing in 2020. Candidly, same thing in 2022. So there are definitely individuals that consistently have certain biases that we need to look into and investigate. I can tell you and speak from our firm, we are actively seeking ways to diversify our methodology. What I mean by methodology is the way that in which we reach out to voters and sort of um, consumers and we get their information via live caller survey, via a, a text to your phone that then sends you to a website that fills out, you know, you fill out a form. We are actively seeking new ways and innovative ways to do that. Some others, that's not the purpose of why they exist. And so they just keep doing the same thing, regardless on what that outcome, if it's positive or negative. Um, how expensive are surveys? I know that there were some candidates for the Arizona House of Representatives uh, at least during the primaries, that wanted to have surveys done but just couldn't afford it. Um, so, so how much are they? Unfortunately, they are expensive to do well. I mean, our 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 surveys generally start unless it's exceptionally short. You're starting at six seventy five hundred dollars, and the average is between ten and twenty. So they are not they are not uh, they're not cheap, particularly for state legislative candidates that are raising and spending about $100,000. That could be a significant portion of your budget, which is why we don't recommend surveys for everyone who runs for public office. You have to be able to do it well. The other problem with surveys is if you do one survey in the span of two years, you're getting one flashpoint, <laughs> yeah. one moment in time. Um, and then people usually want surveys not to test messages, which is what they should be doing it for. They want to test what we call a horse race in the industry, which is like, well, how do I, do I beat the other person? Or does the other person beat me? Well, depending on when you do that, it could be very different. If the election were held a year before the election day, maybe you do lose, but that's not the point. Election day is on one day. So um, so that that's part of the dynamic. But yeah, there's a lot of people that, that should not be doing surveys. Now, the other problem, though, is that because some people desperately want surveys, that's when some corners are cut and you start seeing surveys that are done for $1,000 or $2,000 that, that I just know are not statistically representative and that are not sound method. Uh, they're not sound from a methodology perspective. Right. Um, well, you, you mentioned the elections are one day. They're not, not always one day anymore. Uh, you know, they're over a period of time in, in many cases. Um, there's a lot of concerns about the integrity of elections. Uh, you know, and we can just look at Arizona. Um, 
you know, uh, 55% of the machines in Maricopa County weren't working for a lot of hours on election day. And, um, you know, um, it's easy to, to register to vote and uh, Democrats don't want you to have to show any ID and um, the, the, the voting cards get sent to your house. Even if you sell the house and move away, you still, you know, get those, um, those ballots. Um, so there's a lot of concern among a lot of people about the integrity of elections. How concerned are you about the integrity of elections in Arizona? It is exponentially important to ensure that people trust the way that we conduct elections in Arizona and across the country, that we conduct those elections well, that those elections are conducted beyond reproach, um, that basic logical things like voter ID laws are put in place that we're not relying on people matching human beings or even software matching signatures as a, as a form of ID. We know that our state barely uh, barely shot down a very, to me, common sense voter ID law, but anything, a lot of things that are common sense now do not seem to be common sense for, uh, for portions of the electorate. So um, look, look, I, I am concerned. On the other hand, we... What I want to make sure that I uh, convey, and I always convey to folks uh, in our party and on the, the the right and in conservatives, that we also understand that elections uh, are run based on a set of rules. And if those rules are set, if we have mail-in voting, as an example, let me let me just go right to the heart of it. If we have mail-in voting, some people want to try to to limit that. Fine. Okay. Let's say that you you work on that. Let's say you're not successful. If we don't then utilize the tools available to us, we are self-limiting ourselves, hard stop. Part of the reason why I believe we ended up in the position that we did in 2022 is because we told a whole swath of people they should not vote by mail. And we didn't have a solution for them to vote on election day. We didn't have the apparatus set up. And so I'm a believer is, okay, if you wanna vote on election day, vote on election day. I did, uh, and I do. If you wanna vote by mail, vote by mail. If you want to try to change the laws, okay, that's your prerogative. That's the country that we live in and the state that we live in. But if those laws are set, which right now, based on our political climate, voting by mail is not going away anytime soon, that means we need to be utilizing vote by mail. Otherwise, we are at a disadvantage, which is why you see the President Trump's campaign starting to talk about what most of the country calls VBM, vote by mail, because you know it had been traditionally Republicans that dominate and vote by mail uh, up until the last cycle or two. So that's my again nuanced thought on 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 this and the approach, especially based on the the sort of the the perch that I've had in Arizona, and the perspectives that I've had here and the data involvement that I've had in the state and kind of how I've seen it evolve over time. Our firm does an intensive amount of tracking of early ballot returns, and this last election cycle was the first one that we actually led uh, that that we lagged behind the Democrats in uh, 2014 and 2018 particularly 2014, which was a big year for, for Republicans, we dominated early voting. That was actually when we gained most of our advantage. And typically, Democrats had a slight advantage on Election Day, if you can believe it, which obviously now we couldn't even fathom because it's the complete and opposite inverse. You know, there's a lot of lot of concerns. There's concerns about chain of custody of the ballots. Uh, there's concerns about drop boxes. Uh, you know, you have drop boxes in the middle of uh, and in front of the post office and uh, people can go there 2.30 at night. There's no cameras in most cases. You can drop 10 ballots in there. Um, you know, those are those are some big concerns. Yeah, but, yeah like I said, there's a lot that needs to be contended with. The legislature has passed some good bills this year. A lot of them have been vetoed by the governor. 
right? Because now we have a Democratic governor with Republican majorities in the House and Senate. Um, but we just have to be very mindful going into 2024 that when we realize and understand that certain laws are set and certain ways to vote are set, we have to figure out how to utilize them uh, or, or continue to sort of, and continue to, to protect things like um, drop boxes from potential um, wrongful use. But I'm very worried if we continue to not, for example, utilize, you know, you made a comment earlier about is there one election day or multiple days of election day? If Democrats have 27 days to vote, but Republicans focus on one, that is, uh, that's going to be, unless, unless we really focus on that one, that could be a, a big problem for us. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't seem um, discouraged uh, about the problems that many of us are concerned about as far as the integrity of the, of, of the elections. You think, still think it's uh, winnable. Arizona is winnable for Republican candidates. I, I do believe Arizona is winnable. And, and David, this is actually a very, I'm, I'm very happy you brought this up. This is, an, this is a super important point for me. And I, every time I speak to groups and I do them often, I say, look, I'm going to give you a lot of news that's going to depress you <laughs> and a lot of news that's going to challenge you, but I'm never going to leave you feeling depressed and exclusively challenged. I'm going to leave you with some message of, of hope and vision for the future. Here's why. We have uh, large quantities of people in our state and across the country, in our party, and just in general, Americans, Arizonans, that feel exceptionally discouraged with everything that's happening in our world. And part of the reason why they're discouraged is they're hearing from leaders that are discouraged themselves. And one is discouraging the other and the other is discouraging the other. And we're in this like very vicious cycle. And look, I um, there's plenty to be discouraged about. And this is not coming from a place of um, naiveness. This is coming from a place of optimism and outlook. Also, uh, in, in, in my background in life, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Um, my and I, I understand that my hope comes from uh, comes from Him, and and not from what's happening in this world. But it is very important for me, and I utilize my story. I'm an immigrant. My family gave up everything to come to the United States of America. Um, I was born overseas and then moved here. My dad was homeless when he first moved to the to, when he first moved to the United States to allow our family to have a better life because he needed to do so and wanted to do so. Uh, obviously, the only way that we had available to us, which is, was legal means, and we were never going to do it any other way. And now to see fellow conservatives be so discouraged to say, I've given up on America, I've given up on voting, I've given up on our state, that absolutely breaks my heart. And so I have to breathe optimism into it. Um, now, look, optimism has to be built on, uh, optimism has to be built on actual substantive work. We can't sit on our hands or put our heads in the sand like ostriches do and then and then also be optimistic. But I every day wake up and I do something about it. I am someone that 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 practices what I preach to the extent that I can on every on an everyday basis. And so that is why I'm optimistic. But we need to continue encouraging because we as leaders, a lot of people that are going to be listening to this and watching this are, are leaders in their respective communities. And if we are going to our churches and going to McDonald's and going to Walmart and Target and different places, and if we are being negative to other people who don't care anything about politics, what do you think that's going to do? Do you think that's going to encourage these people to engage? Do you think they're going to want to be better citizens and engage with us from a civic practice perspective? Or are they going to want to be like, okay, why, why would I want to, you seem super sad and depressed. You want me to do the thing that you're doing? <laughs> you want me to end up like you? So that's a big problem. And so look, like, and, and plus people want to have leaders that cast a vision for them. They want leaders to say, hey, 
America is struggling today, but this is where we're going to be. This is where we want to be. Let's go there together. And we have a lot of leaders that are not talking that way. There's a lot of leaders that are saying, well, things are horrible. And then that's it. That's the end of the sentence and the period. And then, or dot, 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 ellipsis. Uh, and then what? Yeah. What do we do with horrible as people? So anyways, I'm very passionate about this. I could spend an entire hour just talking about this subject. It's very important for me. Uh, and it tends to resonate when I speak that way. Not that people all of a sudden forget all of their concerns and they say, oh, you know, George, oh yeah, 100%, we're just going to be optimistic. No, but they say, I appreciate the challenge. I appreciate you challenging us to look at it that way, but to actually do something about it. Let's not just complain. Let's actually do something about it. That's where optimism is rooted in as well. Yeah, that's a very good point, a very uplifting message. So uh, maybe I'll ask one um, kind of uh, unscripted question. Uh, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. It's a tough question. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of bad things happen in, in our country. We've seen compromised elections. We've seen people that uh, say something that the majority or the liberals don't agree with, and they get uh, kicked off social media. In some cases, they le uh, lose access to their bank accounts and credit card processing companies. Um, you see the FBI. Uh, basically turning into an enforcement arm of the Democrat Party, whether it's going back to 2016 and coming up with a fake Russian dossier, or more recently collaborating with uh, Google and uh, YouTube and so forth, and uh, ca calling uh, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop Russian uh, hoax, and and uh, anybody that didn't agree with that was kicked off of social media. You know, you've seen um, a lot of bad things happen, and we won't even get into COVID. So is the United States, do you think the United States is shifting more towards sort of a uh, banana republic? compared to your home country of Lebanon, uh, maybe you were young when you left Lebanon, but is, is the political situation in Lebanon stabilizing? Are there efforts to um, adopt more democracy, more transparency? Uh, so uh, I'm concerned the United States is going the wrong way. Perhaps countries such as Lebanon might be making little strides to, to go the right way. There's nothing that puts our problems in the United States of America into perspective better than when you leave the United States of America and you go see other people's problems. Unfortunately, I cannot report that Lebanon is making any strides in the right direction. And let's not just pick on Lebanon. Um, countries all up and down Africa, in the Middle East, countries in Asia, Europe, that are either falling apart at the seams economically, countries like China that don't even have workforces anymore because of horrific policies that they employed in the 80s and 70s, 80s and 90s, that now they have an exceptionally older population, countries that are deemed like Russia to lose whatever half the, their population over the course of the coming uh, you know, century. Uh, so look, America has a lot of problems, period. I mean, there's no way around it. We are at a very, very tumultuous time. And anytime I talk to people, I, I have to start with that because that would be naive. Right? That would be naive if we didn't start with the difficulty. But I, I still believe that the way that the founders put our republic together, right? we know we're not a democracy, we're a uh, constitutional republic. The way that they put our republic together was meant to allow for this ebb and flow without completely breaking this experience that is experiment that is America. Um, are we being tested now? Probably more than ever, sure. But again, to put it into perspective in our very, very young history compared to most of the world, 
we had a civil war halfway through this country's history that literally tore the country in half and we seemingly came out the other end and so um there's a lot of problems in america there's a lot of very strong institutions that are taking advantage of its people which is why the people's voice is getting louder and why people are are not willing to just quiet down i'm actually seeing more people engage contrary to what i just said earlier because i do think that there still is a level of optimism for what the nation is um, engaging in politics more so than i've seen it in in the past but there's also a lot of people that i talk to and say well you know what nothing's going to be different anyways so why do i engage that's what i want to solve what i want to solve is to show them that something can be different and look i no matter what happens and this is the best summary of my personality anyone who knows me knows this about me I'm going to fight or die trying. There is nothing, nothing about me and no part of me and no part of my family. Uh, I had an uncle who died in the civil war in Lebanon. My father was almost killed four or five times. My mother herself, um, as a woman, which was very rare at the time, uh, did her part in the Lebanese civil war um, for our country and for our faith. Um, there's nothing in our family DNA to say, oh, problem, we're going to run away. Actually, as I've gotten older, I learned that when uh, my uncle died because he was um, laying down cover fire to allow um, a significant amount of villagers in the village that had been taken over, he was he was protecting them to allow them to escape and let the rest of his battalion take them. And he stood there and, and, and finally took a sniper fire to the, to the head, which uh, took his life two days later. And so that's the legacy that I that I bring to the table. And so is America heading in a very difficult direction right now, a precarious direction? Absolutely. But I am unwilling to say, well, you know what, America, your chapter is done. Let's move on. I'm unwilling to do that uh, because, again, I I, I I come from a place where people have given up on on Lebanon and given up on other parts of the world. And um, and I'll just tell you one last measure of success. Uh, America still has a tremendous amount of immigration inflow, and there are people that would that literally risk uh, limbs and risk their lives to come here because of how uh, how much how much they how much they view the upside of America is. But I understand the difficulty, and there are very very serious things that we need to contend with. And frankly, first and foremost is what we need to get a different president, right? So I mean, this just get back to political implications, um, the way that that. That our country has been led by Biden and by the Democratic uh, for the first part House, now thankfully in Republican hands, and by the Democratic Senate is is very problematic. Well, you're doing great work and very very important work. Uh, we need you to sway more Arizonans to vote Republican, and um, uh, that's very important not only for the state, but uh, Arizona is one of the few states that can really make a difference in the national elections. Uh, some of the states are beyond help and. Uh, um, there's about five or six states that are really important, and Arizona is definitely one of those. So thank you for your optimism and your hard work every day. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, look forward to continuing in the, in the good fight together.